Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Everybody, Rob, he's so cutting for sign. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> What's up? How's it going? Uh, we were just discussing your favorite word, zeitgeist. How it's <clears throat> probably my least favorite word. <laughs> Didn't you say that the first time you heard it, you were already tired of it? I was, and that was in 2006. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was when I heard it, and I was like, I'm already done with this word. How do you... <laughs> I'm already done. Fair. How do you feel about me using it twice per episode so far? I'm going to... If I was here with you, like if you were, if we were in a recording studio, I would just unplug your mic. Like kind of aggressively? It's so that everyone else could hear me do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. it would be more about the them knowing that you than the actual yeah. cutting me off yeah no hurt i heard i hear that zeitgeist can we is... retire this for you oh yeah no i love doing <laughs> stuff like that that's a great idea that's a great idea i mean first of all i think what we need to do is define it. it just get it out in the open oh i don't know what it means I just the defining spirit or mood of a particular <laughs> period of history as shown yeah. by the ideas and beliefs of the time i like to Okay, there's it, there's a good phrase quote that uses it, and it's it's the quote is we're all servants of the zeitgeist, and that's a cool quote because it's saying, hey, you know, we're we're all well, in a kind thing. of, but but it, not in the sense that no one knows what the fuck zeitgeist is until we go and and actually read the definition. The defining spirit of a time or or, or, or place. Well, right? I just yeah. read it to you. <laughs> I... <laughs> Will you edit out doesn't count. <laughs> I was repeating. If you could just edit out you reading it the first time, so it sounds like I no. <clears throat> when I use that term, I, what I'm doing is is uh, is tipping my cap to the fact that we're all part of something bigger than ourselves, and that there is a defining spirit that we're you know among that affects us, and that that changes over time, and that we are servants of whatever that you know not servants, but. You buy that bullshit? Here's here's the thing I kind of buy into and scares me the more I think about it. Yeah. D did you watch The Social Dilemma? Yeah. It's a good movie. So, you know, the so we all we all thought that our phones were listening to us and by listening to us they would serve us up information based on things we've said like, oh, we've been talking yeah. about um, Yeah. you know, Zeitgeist and now now it's going to start mm -hmm. serving us up ads for the film series. And, but really what they said is that actually the AI is so good at predicting the things that we search for after the search terms that we've had, because it has so many data points from everywhere yeah. that it just knows kind of like, yeah. okay, these guys talking about this. So yeah. eventually they're going to talk about that. That scares me. That scares me that I'm, I'm so simple that some ad companies like, I know who this guy is. I know what he's about and, really and I can't really make you. any decisions. It's like, it, it's like, I'm not really making my own decisions. I'm being okay. suggested things and, 
and then I have to, because it feels good to me, I'm like participating in it, but I may not really want that. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you really think that you're that impressionable about with regards to what pops up in front of you as ads? I'm glad we're talking about this because Eddie Cola's on and um, he came from the ad industry. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I am afraid. I would like to think I'm not impressionable, but I'm afraid that I actually am. I don't know, man. If you have a mind of your own, I don't think that that stuff really matters as much. I just ignore most of that stuff. When was the last time you bought something strictly because of the brand? Because of a brand? Brand or or because like someone who you respect that is definitely like part of the brand. Not my jam. jam. I don't know why. I couldn't care less. Maybe it's because I haven't had in the past the money to do that. Mm. You know, so I don't play that game as much. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's kind of bitter and weak to think that we're that impressionable. And maybe that's because a lot of people are Ron, but I don't think that I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's just not, dude, I, maybe it's like, how much do you search for stuff on your own? And how much do you just flow with whatever's thrown at you? You know, I feel like you and I are like, we're going to search and find that thing that we really want to fits us and maybe that identity of what i mean by us has been crafted to some extent over time by ads fair enough but to think that that we're just like zombies kind of i I don't know that's not my jam i'm not worried about that in the fucking slightest think and listen to me all at once i don't care yeah i i I would like to think i'm better but I, i don't know if i am okay yeah i just don't know if i am that's I think fair. That's, yeah, I think that's what that's what's because I used to um, be very proud of not being swayed by things, huh. but there I'm, I'm recognizing now that there are certain products and services that I am now being swayed by, mm. and mm. and and in funny places like there are certain you know brands of hobbies that I'm really into that are like oh I like that because of you know nothing that has anything to do with anything it, it doesn't huh. have to do with like how how um because it's aspirational strictly because it's aspirational like you want to be cool or something yeah i want to be cool i want to um i want to be as good as the people who use those products i yeah i mean i, I mean i think that's that's the truth i mean i i, I wouldn't say that you know, being wanting to be cool is that's a very childlike good thing. Like that's that's okay. People get people so serious. People like poo poo that, but inside you're probably like, well, most people want to be cool. I don't know if Rubina Corton wants to be cool. I kind of maybe she does. You know, by that I mean one of our guests who's like a monk. You know, just yeah. Does the Dalai Lama want to be cool? I don't know. Maybe he does. I would think that that that's part of being human because what we mean by cool is is. Uh, approved of you know by the people and and and, and that we look up to you know and and i think that's okay it's just it's a matter of degree how much does that overtake your life yeah that's a good question it's a good question i think that's where i'm landing on the words i geist is how much of it is the spirit of the time and how much of it is the commerce driven spirit of the time even when it's like quote unquote principle led by principles or led by 
um, a desire for justice or some something bigger? I think having a, a radar out for when people are cynical and bitter and then giving you their advice and take on the world, you know, yeah. and advertisements and technology and stuff. It's like, how much of our attention are we going to put toward this being a really bad thing? And then yeah. building that up in our mind. And then how much are we going to, you know, how much are we going to be curious about the positive potential outcomes and positive potential existence and effect having on us? And, you know, I think that's a good question. And, you know, that, that conversation between naive and cynical and where one lands, I think is one of the more valuable questions to be had ha asked during these, this time, you know, in life, because it's so easy to be cynical. Yeah. You know, and there's it very there's, easy. It's, it's almost the easiest thing to do. I would, I would yeah. Say. I don't, I don't almost. find it to be a very attractive uh, or good yeah. way to live. Yeah. You know? Speaking of uh, cynical, let's talk about the opposite of cynicism, which is gratitude. Is, is gratitude the opposite of cynicism? Why did you just come up with that? It looked I don't like know, it you seemed like a good segue. I think the opposite of cynicism, that's a good question. The opposite of cynicism, what, what do you think it is? I think it's trust. a good, good, yeah, trust that, that most people are trying to do the best they can with what they got. Well, that's something to be cynical or not cynical about. But like mm. cynicism is like, are you, are you suspicious? You know, are you jaded and suspicious or are you yeah. trusting and accepting, you know, you know, are you, but so many people would say the opposite of cynicism is naivety and maybe it is. Maybe it is because cynicism maybe is something taken too far negatively and naivety is something taken too far negatively the other way. So what is, what is the thing when you, when you go right in the middle of being too naive and too trusting and too cynical and not trusting, you know, that's, that's a valuable place to be. We need a word for that. Zeitgeist? <laughs> Let me read you something a, uh, a mega fan sent us. You're just going to uh, ignore that? We're just going to let that in. I'm going to, I'm, I'm right? not going to play with that Zeitgeist thing anymore. It's, no, every the, time you say, I'm going to just question. ignore, I'm going to act. That's the cynical question, my dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll just let that one sit out there i think that's a good question for people maybe some it maybe is a good some... question i don't know the answer to it i i that's yeah. a, that's that's awesome content to offer up our listeners <laughs> <laughs> you're and not I, feeling well we should I, say you're not well sorry go ahead i'm not i had a fucking fever last yeah, night <laughs> you're not doing well sorry man i'm gonna pick on you today <laughs> you took you you had a hard thing you had to do you thought you didn't do as well. You actually did pretty good. And then you got sick on top of challenging work stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I think you're doing great, Ron. Big pat on the back for you. Thanks. I'm going to pat myself on the back. Here's another okay. pat on the back. I'm excited about reading this. Yeah. This is someone, this somebody is a mega fan of ours. Essentially two things. One is a, is a picture of a, of a road sign called Cutting Avenue. And this is what they say. Coincidences feel like signposts telling you you're on the right, you're going in the right direction. I'm not sure who said that, but I really believe it. When I first started listening to Cutting for Sign, before I started, before I even met Daniel, I was driving on a road trip and saw a sign for Cutting Avenue while listening to your guy, to you guys explain the origin of Cutting for Sign in the draw. One of those moments where I felt that serendipity. My life has been so enriched since I started listening to Cutting for Sign. 
I've had all kinds of expansive changes while listening to all the amazing nuggets of wisdom on your show. Thank you, dear listener, friend. Yeah, I appreciate that. That was, <clears throat> that was well written, Ron. I didn't write it. <laughs> I do I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> One of Ron's tasks from now on is to write a fake review every week and then read it. <laughs> I... <laughs> no, that's that, that's for one of our listeners, Jamie, and she is amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. She's Thanks, been such Jamie. a cool support. Yeah. Uh well we've got an individual coming on in a little bit named Eddie Cola. Eddie comes from a background in the advertising world and art world. Um and interestingly doesn't want his face shown. And so he's gonna oh, be blurred yeah. out. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. <clears throat> That's gonna anything uh, else you want to cover before we we jump on with him? Yeah, um, I wanted to address support for cutting for sign real quick. Oh, yeah, um, <clears throat> uh, this is audience uh, supported and and funded. We and and Ron and Daniel supported and funded. You know, <laughs> um, this 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 show continues because of the work that Ron and I put in and. We have started to open up more and more avenues for people to support us. And primary one is Patreon. You can go to Patreon. Uh, Patreon. It is forward slash cutting percent. That's the that's the thing to type in. And you can pledge a one time amount, or you can be a monthly subscriber or patron. Any amount works, and is really it means a lot to us. And it's also a way for you to engage with us. Another way to support is through um, Anchor FM, Anchor .fm, and you can go to any episode description and both patreon links link and anchor.fm which is a really easy process right at the bottom of the episode link and then another way to do it is to leave us a rating on spotify and or on uh, apple Podcasts, which you do not need an apple product to do and the last way to support us is to engage with us send us a message reach out let us know what you think feel free to keep sharing these episodes as well we're in the top 15 percent most shared podcast of 2022 and that is a big part of you guys liking what you're hearing and then sending it to someone you know so yeah send us suggestions that. of people you'd like to hear you know i pitch all the time and i recently started asking people who listen to the podcast just personally like hey who do you want to listen to this lady yesterday sent me a list of like 15 people oh nice and she like numbered it i was all like really well typed out like she probably spent 10 or 15 minutes on this text <laughs> i was really impressed that's awesome <laughs> yeah very great cool yeah. cool man appreciate that thanks for doing that and thanks to everybody who's already engaged with us through patreon and left reviews and all those great things really appreciate it Okay, we got Eddie Cola. Let's do this thing. All right. Eddie Cola, you attended the School of Visual Arts in New York and graduated from the California College of Arts with a BFA in Photography and Interdisciplinary Fine Arts. You began your, artist, you began your artistic career as a photographer, working first for the New York Times and later several magazines, record labels, and ad agencies. However, over time, you have morphed into an opponent of what you term, quote, the all-pervasive nature of commercialism i.e. the advertisements that overwhelm many of our public spaces. Your street art first uh, garnered national recognition when you began incorporating images of Barack Obama in 2008. Your designs have been transformed into stickers and albums and magazine covers and have been featured alongside Hush, Black Rat, Banksy, and Shepard Fairey, as well as at art festival shows, public spaces in Miami, Paris, Los Angeles, Thailand, 
and Mexico. In August of 2011, you completed an 80-foot mural in Little Saigon, San Francisco, chronicling the Vietnamese diaspora. In 2012, you became the curator at Local Gallery in Oakland, California, and then the Ian Ross Gallery in San Francisco, where you curated Made in China, a group of exhibitions where contemporary artists had their work hung side by side with counterfeits produced in an oil painting factory in China. Eddie. You value death awareness, holding the opposites of personal expression and anonymity, not asking for permission, imperfection, the unordinary, and producing shit if you have to, to get to something real. Mm -hmm. And of your work, you stated, some people view what I do as vandalism. I assume that their objection is that I alter the landscape without permission. Advertising perpetually alters our environment without the permission of its inhabitants. The only difference is what advertisers is that advertisers pay for the privilege to do so, and I don't. So if you're going to call me anything, call me a thief. All right, Eddie Cola, welcome, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, <laughs> Eddie. I, I'm going to start. I'm going to refer to you as a master thief, Eddie Cola, for the rest of the episode, especially since you're. There we go. Uh, since I, uh, I've been called worse, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But for folks who uh, are listening to this, Eddie's arrived, backlit. He, you can't see any detail of his face. Uh, really, there's no other, um, really no idea what, how to even describe you other than just a black silhouette on my screen right now. You know what? I have a good, I have a good story for this. I can tell you uh, uh, exactly what I look like <laughs> without okay. revealing what I look like. I, I was standing, I was standing, I'm, I'm in Bangkok right now. And I was standing on a street corner waiting for my girlfriend. And I was just sort of scrolling through my phone, smoking a cigarette. And this lady and her two kids were like standing like just outside of my peripheral vision. And I was like, it kind of glanced over like, why are they standing? I just assumed they were doing something. And the lady points at me and she had a very thick Thai accent. She said, like, you look like something. And I was like, sorry, I, I didn't hear what you said. And she says, she says, uh, Iron Man, you look like Iron Man. And I was <laughs> nice. like, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> well, I Googled it afterwards because I've never seen the movie. So there, that's what I look like. And then the little kids were just staring at me like, and then they pointed at me and they went, Iron Man. Oh, you look like <laughs> nice. Iron Man version of Robert Start. Downey Jr. That's a yeah. good. I, I don't, I don't that's think I look like Iron Man. But, uh, but I this did is, Google it, and then I thought, oh, okay, well, that's okay. It's Robert Downey Jr. He's like a good-looking guy. Could do worse. You could do me. much worse. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It could have been somebody else. <laughs> your your silhouette looks like David Lynch. Oh, okay. The director, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I used to. Have you ever watched his uh, weather uh, videos? What? No. Like they're David Lynch short... has this YouTube channel, and every for a while during the pandemic, I don't know if he's still doing it. But he would he would do a short video every day and he would tell you what the weather was gonna be in Los Angeles. <laughs> the director. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah. Were they funny or like crafty? You know, I mean they're funny in a David Lynch sort of way. <laughs> in that they were just so peculiar and left you wondering why does he even do wow. this? Um, you know, but they were definitely entertaining. If you like David Lynch, you'll enjoy them. You know, he has he has some, he has an exercise that I'm going to do someday. I promise. I've been meaning to talk to you about this run. It, it's, hmm. uh, you've probably seen it. It's pretty, it's pretty popular, well-known kind of David Lynch's way that he creates a, a screenplay and he takes seven, he takes 
just little cards, you know, oh, yeah. index Here's cards. Card, yeah. And he does, he comes up with ideas for scenes and they're disparate. They don't have any connection with each other. And then he says that he does this until he has 75 of them. And then he just connects those dots. And then that's his screenplay. Yeah. That's what he does. That's, a, that's interesting. Does not sound like a quick and there's just like a random but kind of Rorschachy way to make a potential story. I really like it. I wonder if that's what he did for these weather weather scenes. He's just making up weather. <laughs> I think but the weather was, was accurate. <laughs> In a David Lynch type of way. Eddie, I mean, he was doing them from Los Angeles. So, I mean, how much, how much very yeah. like 72 right. and sunny. Yeah, exactly. 72 and sunny. Uh, so you come from the, the advertising world and now you've unplugged and you're uh, in Southeast Asia, do you feel like you're kind of experiencing a an apocalypse now of advertising for yourself right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was in the advertising world. I was probably more uh, 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 a peripheral part of the advertising world in that, you know, I did some commercial photography for a while. So I wasn't creating ad, ad campaigns, you know, yeah. I, but I was the guy who was uh, helping illustrate some of the ideas. I think that's even more my my point. Like Colonel Kurtz wasn't like the guy like trying to make the war happen, but he was definitely a part of it. Then he's like, I'm out. I'm out and I'm starting my own cult in the middle of the jungle. Colonel Kurtz? Yeah. yeah. He's Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, Apocalypse Now. Um, No, you know, I mean, I I did photography for a lot. I mean, I still primarily my work is derived from photography even now. Mm-hmm. But when I was doing that work, I felt after a while, uh, you know, it's like when, when you're a professional photographer, you know, a big part of your job is to make things look better or appear better uh, mm-hmm. than they are. Whether that's a product or a person or a garment, that's that's what you do. And so to some extent, you, you're, you're sort of employed as a professional liar. Yeah. You know, like you're job is to sort of entice consumers in whatever various way to be interested in this person thing product and um and it's fine i mean it's not like i had some you know i'm so naive that i didn't realize that that's what i was doing but i mean i think after a while you just start to think well there's certainly more interesting things to do well speaking to that eddie um before we like peg you as the guy you know who's anti-advertising still is this is that still something that is your main focus and purpose as an artist well no i mean i i don't think you know i think probably um at a time i had a real gripe against that yeah um when i kind of transitioned out of photography and started just doing more fine art street art and things like that but you know, since I was young, maybe like 19, it's it's always been super important for me to put art in public spaces. Yeah. Um, I'm also not somebody who really has a great relationship with um, authority or, or administrative things. Yeah. So pretty much I've just done that uh, in an uncommissioned, let's say an uncommissioned <laughs> way yeah. uh, for most of my life. And, I, and my reason for that is not certainly... Uh, it's that in a public environment, particularly an urban environment, which is where I spent most of my time, you know, uh, street art, graffiti, all these things function uh, in a very important way in that 
if there were, there need to be other voices in public spaces other than advertising. Yeah. You know, and th there need to be things that offer a viewer something without really trying to get anything back. Yeah. Now, some viewers are offended by it, and that's okay. I mean, that's a matter of taste or whatever. But you mean, but also, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people just think it's, you know, they yeah. start talking immediately about broken windery and they'll say it's urban blight, brings down property values. Which I think is hilarious because if you look in places like California, what preceded any area getting gentrified or the process of gentrification was, you know, murals and street art cafes and stuff. So that idea, I think, is a little bit antiquated. And are um, you sorry, go ahead, please. No, I mean, I just think it's if all, if the only voice you have is advertising in a public space, um, that has a psychological impact on the inhabitants of that space. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that traditionally, uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with all advertising. If there's a if there's an element of sponsorship or something like that, like I think those are fair trades. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So you you know maybe yeah you watch a TV show for free, and in exchange for that, you watch five minutes worth of ads, and you don't have to pay anything for it. Or you go to a sporting event, but it's free, and that's partially paid by the fact that, you know, some company gets to put a big billboard up in the arena or whatever. Well, but was... in public spaces, like with outdoor advertising, where we talk about, you know, the things that we see on the street, uh, billboards and whatnot, there's no trade. The public's not getting anything for that. You know, there, there's no exchange. And so when there's no exchange, that's just not a fair situation. The, I was thinking about that when I was going through your material and just some videos about you and and uh, and you were talking about what you just said. And I was like, well, is there one way that it is we are getting something? And that is in that if it's beautiful or funny, if there's some art and craft in the advertisement and it does give us like humor or beauty, do you consider that potentially an exchange? I mean, do I? No, because the sole purpose it exists is to sell you something. And that um, counters that, okay. The, the other issue I have with it is that, particularly in a place like California where, you know, the cost of living has gotten so out of control and so many people are just sort of struggling to get by. I just have an ethical problem with constantly pushing things in their face, yeah, making them feel sort of inadequate or not, you know, like, yeah. you know, if you're spending 65% of your income on rent, like, yeah, you know, don't show me the iPhone 14. Like I can't fucking afford it. And you're just making me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Ron and I were, we do a section of the show called The Draw because cutting for sign is a metaphor that we use for following the path of maybe a more authentically uh, expressed version of ourselves. Cutting for sign right. is a, tra a tracking term. And so we kind of structure the show uh, through this metaphor and the draw, like pulling a, a, a bow back or a, yeah, and kind of taking aim. And in the five or 10 minute conversation we had before you came on, uh, we were talking about how ads hit us and how much in in Ron's case he's like yeah they affect me man they make they make me want to feel cool and and want to buy certain products that certain people I look up to are also using and I, I don't identify with that quite as much I know 
you know, we're not all equally susceptible to the advertisement world, but it kind of speaks to what you were just talking about. And for people who are susceptible to that, it, it sounds a little predatory. Yeah. And I mean, I, look, I think there's obviously like, we live in a capitalist society. People make products, people need to market those products. Um, I think there are ways to do that that are absolutely fine. Like I said, when there's a sponsorship component, yeah. um, when you're just placing your stuff uh, uh, in the middle, you know, I mean, it, they're just ugly. You know, years ago, it, uh, I don't know how many years ago it is now, but Sao Paulo in Brazil just passed a law and they said, okay, from now on, there are no more billboards, no more outdoor advertising. Wow. Interesting. And I think, you know, advertising out like, you know, I mean, first of all, there's a whole industry that was probably going to go out of business. So, um, but advertisers were freaking out like, well, we won't be competitive. It, it's not going to work. How are we supposed to tell people about our products? Yeah. But because it was a level playing field and nobody could advertise nice. outside, it worked out fine. People just found other ways to advertise that didn't take over the city's landscape. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So where are you now with, uh, is as an artist, is this still your main purpose? Are you, have you moved, have you developed or involved? No, I mean, I, I, that was, that was sort of like what got me interested yeah. in art public spaces where, where, you know, it, you start to get sort of, you know, you're affected by your environment. So if you get up every day and you, and you grab, you get on the train and the train's got ads for, you know, 5g service and a new Samsung, and you get off the train and, you know, there's another ad for a new Toyota or a new flavor of potato chip or whatever it is. Like you begin to be affected by that environment. Like that's the entire conversation that's around you. And like, that's just not a healthy conversation to be around uh, 24 hours a day. Like there are other things to talk about. So when I was saying like I would put pieces, you know, in public spaces, I mean, part of that was to A, put art where the people are. So everybody doesn't necessarily have a lot of free time to go to a gallery, go to a museum, you know, but they got to get to work. And if it's just there on their way to work, it's just they can enjoy it if they do enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't require it. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a nice thing about their environment. If they don't enjoy it, they probably see it as urban blight. Can't yeah. make everybody happy. <laughs> it was really cool to watch. Um, uh, there was one particular YouTube uh, 20 minute, uh, 12 minute, I don't know, something like that, that will dock you on you. And uh, it was great. And it had a lot of footage uh, from, I'm assuming, just like street cameras of you, you know, putting, putting stuff up. Is it kind of a way uh, for you to have like a little alter ego? and go out and be uh, not vigilante, but you know what I mean? Like have that. Yeah. Moment. I mean, it's definitely not a vigilante thing to it, but it's, you know, it's also a little bit of this idea, like public space should be utilized by the public. Yeah. You know, not necessarily just by people who have funds or people who pay advertising fees. Like that's very democratic. And, and the thing I've always liked about street art that I don't necessarily like about gallery system or institutions of art is you know if you're a person and you have some creative notion that you want to express um there's no there's no barrier between going and presenting that idea to the public 
yeah. by doing street art. There's no criteria. There's no admissions process. Like literally all it requires of you is to make your thing and go put it where people are. Mm. And um, I think that's probably just the, the final step in the creative process, you know, so something might start as an idea and develop into this other thing. And then you're in the studio and you're making it with your hands and then you're refining it. Yeah. And like the end of the loop is for people to see it, you know, yeah. it, to, to my way of thinking, that's the end of the loop. And are you still going out and putting street art up at night or is it only murals? Like where, how, I'm just trying to figure out like where you are now. <clears throat> Um, you know, it's been a weird time. Like, okay, so we're like, uh, um, sort of, I'm at that point where it's just been a few months where things have started to feel kind of normal. Like the pandemic thing is finally kind of the worst of it is over. Yeah, things are getting back to normal. People are going back out to galleries. I'm talking to people about doing exhibits and things like that. Um, during the pandemic, I mean, I. You know, different people had all kinds of different experiences. Um, I entered, you know, when we first sort of went into lockdown, I was like, you know, okay, you know, be the mature, positive guy. Like, you know, there's all these projects you always say you don't have time for. Now you got all the fucking time in the world. Like, do them. And so I was like, okay, this is great. And that never happened. I was going to ask, did you, did you finish it? Yeah. No, absolutely not. The exact ap opposite happened. Like I was depressed. I was yeah. anxious. I was withdrawn. Um, you know, in the beginning, it seems like a long time ago now, but I think it was like scary. Um, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of like, what's going to happen? Is the future ever going to be the same? Da, 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 da. And then it just sort of slowly transformed into this sort of long period of languishing for me. Mm. You know, and I mean, part of the reason I came to Bangkok, I mean, I was supposed to, what is it? It's, it's January 18th. I, I was supposed to go home December 21st. So this trip just keeps getting. Like, why? Keep why do avoiding. you? Why are you staying in Bangkok? What's the appeal for you to to be there for so long? Um, I think the only thing left for me to do when I go back to California is to finish packing the rest of my stuff, and then probably that will be the end of my uh, my California chapter. Wow! And how long and, has and that I'll, chapter been? Oh, a long time. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, probably uh, close to 30 years. Wow. Is this you part know, just, Yeah, sorry. It's, it's just, it got to, you know, like California has its problems. It has its attributes. Um, but, um, you know, it's a bit like a relationship. You get to a point in a relationship and, and you and the other person just don't have much in common, don't have much to offer each other. I feel like you have the same relationships with cities. It, it's not that where I live is such a horrible place. I just, me and that place don't really fit together anymore. Yeah, it's I, not that it's a bad place yeah. or I don't like the place or I, I have some harsh feelings about it. It's just kind of run its course. And um, uh, I just don't enjoy being there. Actually, I remember in, in that 
documentary about you, you were saying that similar thing, but you were talking about the whole country. Is it, or you think you'll just move from the United States? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll leave the country. You will. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I, a, I, that's a trend. A lot more and more people are doing this for sure. Yeah. I just ran you know, just being, last night. My building was like, I'm retiring to Portugal in, in uh, when, you know, in a few years. So it's like, wow, it surprises me, but doesn't surprise me at the same time. I just, yeah, I, I, prior to the pandemic, I was, I was already rarely uh, home. I probably spent at least six or yeah. seven months outside of the country. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, I kind of didn't really have a choice. There weren't a lot of places I could go. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't really comfortable doing a lot of traveling. Um, so it kind of got, you know, uh, that all got put on hold for about three years, but the plan was always, you know, even when the pandemic started three years ago was to, to just move, uh, you know, I don't know, move isn't the right word because I probably won't relocate anywhere per se. I'll probably just drift around a little bit. Until and, uh, I find some place that I, you know, feels like home. I mean, the yeah. closest thing I could say to to a place like that would be Paris. I've spent a lot of time in Paris. And when I'm in Paris, Paris feels like, um, it feels as much like home as Oakland. Hmm. <laughs> Is that because the art art world in particular? And the creative vibe that's happening throughout nah, the city? Um, you know, I mean, I just think I've spent so much time there. I have a lot of good friends there. Um, I have uh, uh, this sort of sentimentality towards Paris. You know, the I I'm not one of these like Francophiles. I I I don't know how to. I never studied French. I don't know anything about French cinema. I did not grow <laughs> up with any dream of going to Paris and seeing this or that. I didn't even know what was in Paris, but I ended up there on a fluke uh once as sort of a last ditch effort to save a bad relationship and uh and uh my life at that point sucked it was just awful and uh the french people were like super kind to me and in a way kind of um brought me out of that you know hmm. uh, uh it, it, i mean it's not like i walked around telling everybody I was miserable or telling them what the story was, but just through the way they lived and their generosity and friendship towards me, like it made this huge difference. And so ever since then, you know, I've just kind of been in love with the place, but I'm it's probably cool. the opposite of Americans because, uh, as far as Paris goes, I, uh, I love the people. Uh, I'm not crazy about the food. That's kind of the opposite. The opposite of what most Americans say. You know. don't like French food. Wow, it's it's all right. A little rich. Is that the, that the gist? Just a little rich. I, look, I'm in Bangkok, and this is. I mean, it, this is. I have never been to a country where there's more good food available 24 hours a day. That is, and I'm not a foodie by any means, but um, this is the most delicious country in the world. What, take, what took you to, to Bangkok in particular? What was the draw for you there? Well, I'd been here before, and it's it's um, it's kind of funny. During the pandemic, when, when things were like really just kind of shit, you know, like I would get up every day, I'd make a cup of coffee, I'd open the New York Times. Oh, how many thousands of people died yesterday? Oh, you know, it was just bleak. You know, that, the whole Trump presidency was just bleak like everything 
and the future was like, what the, you know, it was before we had vaccines or anything. It was like, what the fuck is going to happen? Like, there was really no uh, sign that like anything was ever going to go back to normal. But I'd been to Bangkok a bunch of times. And one night I had a dream that I was walking through the neighborhood that I'm in right now. And uh, me and my girlfriend were walking through the neighborhood. And uh, in the dream, like everything was over. You know, and like we kind of turned and looked at each other and we're like, fuck, we're back in Bangkok. Like, it's over. We got through it. And and, and then, of course, I woke up and realized, oh, fuck, that was just a dream. You know, (laughs) everything's just as horrible as when you went to sleep. But it was always in the back of my head. Like, go back there. Like, if you can, if it's possible, like, make that dream happen. Hmm. Um, and then I got here and I've been here for a few weeks and I've literally walked past the little bridge where I had the dream and been like super uncomfortable with stopping or acknowledging that that was the place from the dream. And I don't know whether that's because like, I don't want to, I didn't want to jinx it or I didn't want to remember how bad I felt when I had the dream or something. But just, just the other day I went and I took a picture and I, I, went there uh with my girlfriend and i said yeah you remember that time like a couple of years ago i woke you up i had that dream we we're in bangkok and she remembered it and i was like yeah we we're standing like this is where we were mm-hmm. and we're here so to that extent it was just sort of this very personal thing for me um yeah. and it's it's been uh you know in large part it's just been a great trip because it's uh it's such an amazing place and it's such a uh it having you know the united states has gotten so sort of divided and aggressive you know and bangkok is like this crowded chaotic place where everybody is right on top of each other you know and cars are going down the street People are going down the street. Cats are going down. Scooters are going down the street. They're up on the sidewalk. And like nobody is fighting. Everybody's just sort of stepping out of each other's way, doing this little dance so that everything keeps moving. And, you know, to my mind, you know, that just doesn't happen in the United States anymore. I mean, if we if you had scooters and cars on a pedestrian way, you know, in California, you know, some karen's would be petitioning the city council not to allow scooters on it and you know they'd put a guardrail around something because somebody got hit by a car or you know people would be punching other people's trunks if they like drove by too close and like none of that's happening here everybody just has this very cooperative thing like um i mean every place has its problems i'm not saying it's shangri-la but But for the most part, everybody's just sort of making uh, a consideration for everybody else so that everybody can keep doing what they're doing. Like, Are you uh, doing art there too? Are you doing any street art? No, you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of street art while I'm here, but it, it's been <laughs> real, real rudimentary. Um, I came here because I started working on this idea for a podcast. <laughs> Uh, about a year ago and I thought oh you know uh, uh, it would it would be nice to just be over there be a little bit removed from my current environment and uh, just be able to write 
and edit and spend some time really working on this idea. And I sort of gotten to a point with it where now I'm not a writer, but I have this fantasy life in my head where some someday I'm a writer. Um, and I've been trying to do this like it's almost ridiculous for like five years, you know, like five years I had this idea, oh, you know, maybe I'll work on this novel. I'm going to write this novel. And I went to Paris and I thought, oh, Paris, right? Perfect. And, you know, an American in Paris writing his novel. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That's never it, happened before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that didn't generate, you know, I don't know, maybe generated a chapter that wasn't very good. Came back from there. Then I decided, ah, you know what? I'll go. I'm going to guide to go and do a, some art stuff in Mexico. I'll stay in Mexico for a month. And I'll do nothing but write. Same thing, you know, just false start. But this time it actually got somewhere. So, um, so that's been positive. So what you want to tell us what your podcast is about? Now, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on it. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's essentially short stories, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's essentially narrated short stories. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't say they're radio plays because it's not a thing like a play with dialogue and stuff, but yeah. it, they're literally like, uh, almost like monologues. So like each episode would be a, one of these stories or several. Yeah. And the story cool. would, would focus on some kind of broad topic, like, yes. uh, you know, happiness or regret or, you know, big things, you know, uh, I got my education in, in journalism and then moved on to more creative writing versions of that and got into playwriting and just I've had a toe in the writing world for quite a while and um, one thing that I remember from all that uh, just exposure you know is hear this one thing over and over and that's that short story writing is the most challenging um, genre of writing to do that's the most challenging version of writing because all of the rules apply in the larger forms and all the rules apply in the smaller forms and they all have to take place in the most condensed diamond, you know, version of a right. delivered story. Yeah. Right. I mean, in a way, I feel a little bit fortunate in that, um, you know, probably my ignorance is bliss. I don't have a background in writing. I've never trained yeah. as a writer. I wasn't yeah. a journalist. So like, I'm a little bit oblivious to the rules, which, which is a bit how I make thing. art. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not really burdened by them because, uh, you know, I'm just this, you know, uh, uh, knucklehead, like blindly taking a stab at this. Well, I, I think about, you know, there's that kind of old conversation about whether or not to go to school for this creative pursuit, whether it's art or writing or whatever, and you get people who land all over the place. And right. Ron and I were talking about this recently, and I, I was like, you know, I think that for the people who can shoot from the hip really honestly, uh, creatively, and they don't have to kind of undo, you know, issues from the past that are keeping them from being able to honestly e express themselves. They probably don't need to go to school, you know, that might actually hinder them. But for people who do need to kind of reverse engineer some things and break down and get to that place where they can express, I think school can, can be good, at least for me, that's just my general take. I don't have any strong opinions on it. Um, but it sounds like, yeah, it doesn't sound like you're the type of person who would need to do it. I had this great experience with a guy who had never done any drawing in his life, 
he was a really good musician. That was his, that was his creative pursuit, but he was just a force of nature with his ideas and his self-expression. He dripped that in every, in every movement he made. And, and he, and I was doing a lot of like painting. We were roommates and he goes, one day he showed up with a, a sketchbook and he comes home and he goes, I'm going to do a drawing a day. And I was like, cool, man. And his fucking drawings were so interesting and so crafty. And you know how like the far side isn't that comic, the far side isn't drawn mm -hmm. very well, but it's got a voice that's interesting. Yeah, right. And it doesn't need to be drawn well. It, it is good just the way it is. He was exactly like that. And I was like, that's a great example of that. And there's nothing in the way of his creativity. He just, in the minimal skill that he had, all of his voice came through that minimal skill. And that was easily enough for it to be interesting. Yeah, and if he had probably, you know, I, I don't know him specifically, but in a lot of cases, you know, people develop their skills and then they start to polish what they're presenting. And the polished version, uh, it, the whole thing loses its character. You know, yeah. it just starts to look like every other type of illustration or whatnot. So, you know, I mean, I think for different people, I, I did go to school for art. Um, I don't think going to school for art is necessary, particularly given the cost of it now. You know, the thing it provided for me was time and some facilities and a little bit of a community who were kind of interested in doing the similar things. Yeah. Um, it gave me a little bit, it gave me this little window of space in my life where it was like, all right, you just have to do this right now. That's all you have to do. And you can dedicate yourself <clears throat> to it. Eddie, like, I, I mean, I think that the idea that you just came up with is awesome because repping out is so important in, in my opinion on anything just to get the practices down and to get better at it and that's one thing i like about painting as opposed to like writing novels this is i can do a painting many paintings in the time that it would take to do a longer piece of writing and so i can rep the process out and i can get better it's just it suits where i'm at creatively and in my life and short stories is like a painting version of I just think that, and that's why I liked articles too, but what might be cool is maybe you write this podcast and you get through and you do a bunch of them and then you get better at some of the writing stuff. And then that leads to the ability to write your novel because you've done a, a bunch of these. You've closed the, the, um, the loop of starting a story and finishing it. One of our guests who is, a, a, you know, he's just one of the authors that we've had on. He said, if anybody wants to become a good writer, write a hundred short stories he's like that's all you, you remember that wrong oh, yeah yeah that's all you have to do steve barnes and he mapped out how to do that like really simple structure and i was like fuck you just sense the truth of that statement yeah. you know yeah, i mean the thing uh, you know the, the process i have been going through with the writing is interesting in that um i've been doing art so long that yeah. i have a certain proficiency yeah. uh I know what the right material, you know, I have a sense of what the right materials are, I have yeah. a sense of what the right approach is. So because I've been doing it for so long, I've gotten somewhat efficient at it. And then when I move to writing, <laughs> I'm not the least bit efficient yeah. at it. <laughs> and so it really tested my patience because it's just like, oh yeah, this is just a way longer process. Mm -hmm. It's way slower. Um, yeah. It's not visual. Like when exactly. I'm in the studio and I do something visual that works, you know, it's like a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. It's like, bam, keep going, you know, yeah. but when you do it on a page, it like doesn't have that same visceral 
thing. Um, you have you been a part of any writer writers groups? No, no, I don't even think I. I, I probably don't even have really the confidence to uh, really to 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 do that only because I feel like a fish out of water. I feel like a complete yeah. fraud. You know, I don't want to go into a writer's group with all these people that study literature and it's like, Oh, who are you? And I'm just like, Oh, just some fucking jerk off who decided he was going to write a book. Yeah. But, but it anyway, seems a little insulting. We it seems about, about 75% of people who want to write or that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't feel so bad. Me and Ron started a writing group twice in the last few years. I'm sorry. We didn't start one twice. We have a writing group, but we've engaged it twice and um and we invited four there was four of us and we each had a project they were different projects and all we did was submitted we met every two weeks everyone submits and there was professional writers and non-professional that were aspiring and and that fucking group like the accountability and the structure just knowing someone was going to read we were all friendly you know some of us didn't know each other at all but they were always like it was like my friend and me started it and then it was their friend so someone had a connection with someone in the group so it very quickly became uh, like we we're all friends but then also we kind of ran it like a in a non-cheesy way like a support group you know mm -hmm. like <laughs> in a in a its structure was kind of like that and People got published out of that. One guy was already a professional writer, but he just wanted something that kind of kept him, kept this one project moving forward. Ron was mm -hmm. like taking the big first jump into writing a novel that he's been, you know, thinking about for a long time. And it was an absolute game changer. If if Huge. if anyone out there, yeah. like what you said about, man, I don't want to jump into all these professions. Fuck that. It's not like that. Like get four people who are kind of around you or that at least care about you might be above or below in skill. And I think writing groups, if I could beam a, a writing group into any aspiring writer's life, I would do it in an instant. It's so valuable. It's one of the few things yeah. in my life that I have like, uh, the return on investment is, is huge. I mean, just orders of magnitude more than anything else I've engaged in. I think part of it is when you know you've got something to say and, and you don't, and you've got all those voices in your head telling you they don't measure up or, or you don't have a place for it to get critiqued, but then you find a good, writers group where there's real critique real critique but also real encouragement and it yeah and it, and it yeah oh yeah it verifies like yeah this thing i've got in me uh that i feel like is important even if it's one true sentence as an american in paris once said um like that feels right that feels right i mean dude i've i, I have been writing a long time and um i get that same hit like when i when i'm in the practice of writing that you described about seeing something visually that works. Like I remember a few years ago, I was just um, spending a certain amount of time every single day writing, no matter what. It was just a discipline I had, I had had that year. And and I remember waiting in the doctor's office for my daughter. And, I, and so I wrote on my phone in the notes section and I had that hit. I was like, fuck yeah, this is like, I got some sentences out today and this is, and no one saw it. You know, I think I read it to my wife that day. Um, yeah. I've lost it since then. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to talk about earlier, Daniel, when you when you talked about um, uh, the the director we were talking about earlier. What's his name? Oh, yeah, David Lynch. David Lynch. I thought it, uh, him, I've heard him say something about writing every idea down because you'll lose him. 
and I've lost a lot of writing. That's fucking that's that subject. What you just brought up in the writing, my writing experience is one of the most interesting subjects because you get people who say the total opposite and like Stephen King, for example, he doesn't write his ideas down because that's the way he vets his ideas. He says the good ideas will roil back up in your mind. Naturally, that's what makes that was what keeps them around is that natural process. And then I remember, yeah, David Lynch, he's like total opposite. He said he's lost full screenplays that he knew would be among his best work because he didn't write it down. <laughs> I agree. I agree with David Lynch. I mean, I, I don't think you necessarily remember the best ideas. That's I mean, what I thought too. Definitely. I, I, I try to, uh, I try to just use the little note thing in my phone for that. Stuff. Yeah. Totally, me you too. Know, because if I if I'm out with a bunch of people and we're just riffing and we're having a conversation, it's like, yeah, man. Three days from now, I'm not going to remember every detail of this conversation. I'm not going to remember all those things. So I'll just stick it in there. But honestly, um, and maybe you know, maybe you guys can speak to this to some degree. Uh, the counter side of that is if I have a good, I'll have a note. Oh, I think this is a good idea, and I'll sit down and I'll start working on it. And then uh, I'm trying so hard to incorporate that idea throughout the story that the story's shit. And it's like, if I just sit down with no idea and it's like, all right, go, you have to make up a story. Like pretend you're in front of a fucking audience and there's like 300 people staring at you, like tell an engaging story. I can get in a better zone that way mm-hmm. because I'm not really trying to accomplish anything. I'm kind of making the thing up as I go and then sort of adjusting the narrative uh, as I build it for it to make sense. Yeah. You know, and then you, and then obviously you go back and you edit it, but like, I can feel like I can kind of get on this bullshitting riff. Like, yeah. I don't know, have you ever been in a party nice. and just string oh, yeah. people along for two hours? It's sort of like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, called cutting for side. <laughs> <laughs> so as, a, as opposed to what, though? What was the way that was not working as much? When I would have a clear-cut idea, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, oh. I'd put a note in my phone that was like two or three sentences. Hey, maybe try and write a yeah. short story about this. Or maybe try and just, you know, even as an exercise, try and write an essay about this topic. Yeah. And I'm like, so hard to like make it this cohesive thing that it becomes this flat completely not creative thing and when i just sit there and it's a blank page and it's just sort of like yeah just go like this is your hour to write make some shit up you know because i mean i'm not you know it's not like i'm doing journalism i'm just telling stories yeah Yeah. totally it's It's like sorry yeah no no i mean so so that's the thing uh while i've been here writing that seems to be the thing that works best it's like tarantino his writing process is really one of the ones that sticks in my mind the most because he just gets characters going through the note-taking process through that methodical uh as years go by you get an idea and then these characters kind of build just the idea of them builds and then when he sits down and writes and he writes all by hand um Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this on a side note, he writes by hand. And then when he goes to type, he literally types the whole thing out with one finger. He doesn't know how to type and he doesn't even do this. It's one finger at a time, one letter at a time. That's how he writes his fucking scripts. But anyway, he talks about just getting the characters talking to themselves, you know, which, which happens in that place that you're talking about. I think not that I know everything about writing by, uh, by fucking no means, but, um, 
but it sounds like you have this more natural ability to get those get that environment interacting with your characters and and do you do you have do you feel like you get characters just kind of talking to themselves and then they they kind of you're just dictating do you have that experience ever in, in where the characters sort of take on their own yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean that does happen i just I, you know what ends up happening when i go out battle with a specific idea in my head or something it just ends up coming out contrived like i'm, I'm trying i, I get yeah. that feeling uh, I just stick on yeah. stay on topic and i feel like um it doesn't necessarily it, it just gets a little stifled it's just yeah. not quite flowing um or you thought like oh this is a good idea a good idea is great but a good idea is a few sentences a good yeah. idea is not a totally, short story yeah. and sometimes that's all it is it's a good idea mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know maybe it's a small detail in a better in a better story it's like uh tarantino said another thing about he's he's the person he writes for and he's like if i can be entertained by this then i know other people will but it's for me and i was like i've tried to take i tried to i am taking that into my own art and painting because i realized i don't really like my my art keep doing it but like one of my goals is to is to like something that i do well enough to hang it on on my own wall you know and if i can do that man i'm not worried about anything else and I'm curious if that's something you think about too. Like, do you like, you know, the stuff that you make, you know, art wise too, but also with writing? Well, with the art, I feel like it's a little bit different. Um, you know, obviously while I'm doing it, I'll get to a point and I'll say, well, uh, this is everything I can think to do with this piece that isn't superfluous at this point, that I'm just not adding to add. Gotcha. You know, and, and I'll say, well, that's, then I'm done, you know, and then I have this ritual, I have this little stencil that I put on the piece. And when I put the stencil on, if I come back the next day and I think, ah, you, can, you need to do one little thing. It's like, now the ritual is once the stencil's on, fuck yeah. I don't fuck with it. I love that. Because otherwise you end up chasing it down. And it's like, yeah. you know, whatever idea you have about what that piece could have done better or could have been, like you have to end it somewhere yeah. And that I that idea is just the, the first idea for the next piece. Hell yeah. I love that. If I don't continue to go forward, if I get too stagnant, if I get too bogged down in the long drawn out process, I just I start to lose um the most important part, which is the enjoyment of it. Huh. Yeah. Do you stay in that place of enjoying the art process almost all the time when you're creating? No. <laughs> why not because it's a grind or because you do push beyond the joy no you know i mean it's like an emotional like uh uh, uh tango you know you have a great idea <laughs> nice. you're excited about it you know you get into the studio and you're like oh man I'm, you know whatever the idea might be i'm gonna do this piece you know really yeah. excited about it you have this vision in your head of what it's gonna be like and, you know, you get in there and start working and things start going wrong, you know, and then you have your imposter complex, you know, you're like, fuck, man, you know, I've been doing this for like 25 <laughs> years and I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, like, you know, and then you're like, and, you know, and then you have like, you know, one idea and you're like, wait, I think I know, you know, I think I know how to steer it back on track. And then you do that 
and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, I know what I'm doing. You know, I've been doing this for, you know, and then you get that cockiness. <laughs> Swing all the way over. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, that's for me. I mean, it's just like this emotional fucking. Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, you know, roller coaster. Oh, it can be. But, you know, and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, there, I'm, you know. <laughs> I made it. Yeah, it's Exhausted. good. You, you know, do the same thing too, right, Daniel? In, in, in art, oh, where yeah, you've got your ideas, and then you fucking you. At a certain point, you're just gutting it out, and it's just brutal for a while. Yeah, yeah. I I've got a my one of my mentors said looked at one of my paintings recently, and he goes, "You need to control your process." <laughs> that was it. and wow. I knew exactly what he was saying because he was right. You know, my process was like schizophrenically and. Uh, all over the place and makes it hard on myself and and not efficient you know and i don't mean that everything has to be efficient all the time but inefficient in a way that just was making it hard on me so yeah i've got a lot a lot to learn in that respect for sure but you know if your if your process is schizophrenic we go back to the david lynch <laughs> thing with 75 cards yeah. it's like you know take the schizophrenia and start like organizing yeah, it a little nice. bit and, like tying it together and then and then you're onto something yeah. or maybe you're not like that's fine like well, I, you have to make shitty art yeah eddie you said enough. something in, in in a video i heard you talk on where you said you think people should follow their obsession so that absolutely they, so that they could be more themselves yeah I, I think not only to be more themselves, but really probably the things that we obsess about are are often very specific to us. Mm. So in other words, if I try to approach art making from an idea of what will resonate with people, um, what are people thinking about? What um, emotional reaction do I want? I'm probably going to end up making a lot of art that looks like a lot of other people's art. Mm. You know, the only thing that I can do that would probably be unique is to really just be, like you say, as authentic as possible. <clears throat> and for me, part of the authenticity becomes these things that over the years, um, I can't say why 100%. Yeah. But like, there's just certain visual things that like, I am just never going to let go of. And, and I used to, I used to feel like uh, when I was younger, like, oh yeah, you know, you need to let go of this. You know, you're doing this sort of, you know, almost self plagiarizing, you know, um, you need to expand this thing. You, you need to stop getting bogged down in these obsessions. And then at one point I was like, no, nah, I'm just going, I'm going nice. first into the obsessions nice. because who else, unless you're truly obsessed with something, uh, who else is going to go that deep? Probably most people aren't. And sometimes, you know, even if your work seems repetitive, you, you know, you might have a friend or another artist friend, they come over to your studio and they're like, man, you know, you're doing like, you're kind of doing the same work over and over again. And, and like, I think in the short term, it might feel that way. Yeah. But I think if you go five years down the road, it's like, no, I had to do that same work that many times nice. to get it here. Fuck yeah. You know, and, and, and you can only really stick, or at least for someone like me who's not particularly patient, I can only really stick with things like that if I'm literally obsessed with them. Like, 
and and through i mean this has gone on since probably i think a lot of people's obsessions develop when they're like between 10 and 16. Mm -hmm. it's that sort of formative part of your life where things just make you're just very impressionable things experiences uh and emotional things leave lasting imprint on you and, and i think a lot of people are just really kind of <clears throat> working through those things you know i think a lot of us don't feel like we've got permission <clears throat> to be obsessed about things well i, I think I'll, it's I'll generally my... discouraged yeah i mean i, right. I feel like it's, it is discouraged i've discouraged it in myself for sure because because I, of, you want to be balanced i want to be balanced i want to yeah. provide a, a, a good stable environment for my family uh and i'm afraid if i go if i get obsessed which i can feel it in there there's definitely been times in my life yeah. where like obsession is like knocking on the door and i and i you know but i can't say i've never given myself over to it maybe maybe there's hmm. something to say about what would what would be a good thing to become obsessed about well to do and to do that in the constructs of like being part of a family and stability it's like how do you had because i love this discussion around obsession we had we had another artist on recently david haynes he's a english uh, artist out of amsterdam and he was speaking just two episodes ago or last episode about um obsession and what he was obsessed about and he's a very calm like understated person and then he said that he was obsessed and i was like Whoa, I was surprised when he said that because he mm -hmm. seems so balanced, you know, in it's a very lot of British. ways. <laughs> but he was like fucking, and then when he started talking about it in that very calm way, you could tell, oh, this is something that he is, he has, it's not something that is like disrupting his life, you know, but he's still able to be obsessed about it within his life. I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I think they can be separate things. I think generally when people talk about obsession, they talk about it as a dysfunction. Right. Right. You know, yeah. like uh somewhere along, you know, on par with addiction. Or, yes, or exactly. something like that. You know, totally. where it has this negative connotation. Yeah. I don't think it has a negative connotation. And, That's and awesome. it doesn't, yeah. you know, you can be obsessed in your work life and still, I think, and still have balance in your relationships. So Ron, you know, what would you being obsessed in the context of your life now look like, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I have some ideas, but I don't want to say yet because I'm, <laughs> I've got some things on, on some burners going. And so cool. I would, I might even say, I might even say, um, there is something going on in my life. That's there's an obsession about, and I'm working hard on it. I would like to see how it, I would love to see at some point in time, you get obsessed with a writing project i would too i was thinking about that um when eddie was talking earlier because i've had i've had times where i've been obsessed about yeah. things and and interestingly the more i've tried to like um narrow down a voice or something in my writing a voice or or clarity in what's going on like the it makes me it just makes me mad and, and it makes me <laughs> bored of the writing it makes me so bored of the writing and and when i uh, there's an italian word i might have mentioned on the podcast before you might have heard this eddie it's called uh duende you guys heard of that yeah it's like the, i it's have like, heard of that and i can't remember what it means it's the demonic uh artistic obsession 
that like it's, it's kind <laughs> of like the somebody else brought it up in the context of a similar conversation <laughs> yeah I, it's that's like where the, i've heard it it's like the <laughs> demonic muse of art and creative creativity and oh, it's chilling I yeah that. i like it i like it and i there are times when I can sit down, especially early in the morning and write, and I can feel that. I literally feel like something yeah. outside of myself is helping do it. But then when I need to like get clear and, you know, write with like a beginning, middle and end and, and, and bring more structure that it just goes, it's gone. It's like, it's like going from like raw, beautiful, erotic fucking to like, oh, we should have sex to have a baby. We're trying to make it. Yeah. yeah, right. Two right. hours. Two more hours. Wait, yeah. it's two hours from Like, now. is it time to do this thing <laughs> that we time. have to do to make a human being? Like, it, it's so yeah, different. Yeah, that's, uh, that's you know, a tough. But that's, uh, I, I feel like, Ron, like, that's, that's potentially you not knowing your process yet, you know, as, as well as maybe you'll need to, to start giving birth, like, no pun intended, to these things, because and I don't mean to, we're, we're riffing right here. Like, you know, you're, you know, you're jam, but, uh, you know, there is a time where Duende runs the fucking ship, you know, for maybe for every time you write for that first draft, maybe the first draft is written by Duende, fueled by, you know, sponsored by Duende. Right? <laughs> but then you engage that other part when you go back and, and do the second, and maybe that second draft has, now, maybe now there's a dance between that. You got to, you got to turn that on and off. And then maybe the third draft is like all polish. I don't know if that's what you're talking to, but yeah. do you know what I mean? I know it's, it's becoming strongly unsexy to me thinking about more drafts. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe you, you just need to all be Duende and fucking just write. And uh, I mean, okay. it's sort of a, a, a similar <laughs> ideas, you know, part of the reason why, why I came to Bangkok you know, was like, you know, and had this experience during the pandemic and like my whole life just became fucking routine. Yeah. You know, I was doing the same oh, shit yeah. every day. You know, like I do the New York Times spelling bee now. Like, yeah, the fuck same. is that? Like, yeah, yeah. and I guess I enjoy it or whatever, but like that was never me before. I was not a guy who did the New York Times spelling yeah, yeah, bee, but like yeah. there I was during yeah, the pandemic. The same, thing, my, same thing. And, and like the chess little, move of the day on New York Times. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, you start doing these things and then you're like, who the fuck am I? Who am I? And like, yeah, exactly. you know, and it's like, oh, I got to break out of this, you know, and I got to get more comfortable like it just got weird it's like i gotta have to get more comfortable being like a normal socializing human being again and like and just being uh in life and, and i feel like in california like i don't even know where that is exactly wow. you know we do so many things at least this is how i feel where i live in oakland that are like so isolated and like for me to go to the grocery store i have to get in a car you know, or for me to go yeah. and, and do all these things, I don't actually have to interact with anybody. But like Bangkok's like this river, man. Like it, you don't really have to do much of anything. Like get get out of bed, you know, <laughs> walk out, walk out of the hotel, <laughs> and then just just like see what happens. You know, and like when people are like, "Hey, do you want to?" Just say yes. You know, <laughs> and you'll like just end up in the most bizarre places and it, it's a little hard to get used to as an american because we're so suspicious of each other and we have this yeah. you know kind of there's a lot of violence in the united states but like this is not it's not the same culture like nobody's 
you know, it's, it's not a perfect culture. No place is, but it's like in all likelihood, no one's going to harm you. Uh, we were walking. Uh, I mean, this was just two days ago. We're walking by the canal here. It's just me and my girlfriend. And this guy is walking towards us. And now this guy's probably like 70 years old. He's got long white hair uh, down to like, you know, mid chest. Yeah. He's got like this super long gray, white Fu Manchu mustache that's going about six inches below his chin. He has no front teeth. He's wearing a red beret, a Metallica shirt, and a leopard print uh, a leopard print skirt. <laughs> yeah, Duende. Right, and 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 so like as right, like this guy. Yeah, this guy was not not presenting for anybody other than him. Yeah, and we're okay. we're walking towards him, and all of a sudden, you know, so he sort of like throws up the sort of devil horns, you know, fucking <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like at me. So I'm like I'm like all right, this guy seems a little like a wild card. So you know, I throw him back the devil horns, like just like. I come in peace, dude. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And he walks up to us and he's like laughing. And so it's like, all right, what's this fucking guy? Like yeah. this guy looks strange. <laughs> he sticks his hand into his jacket. Oh, all right. Like kind of cocks his whole shoulder <laughs> and pulls out a flower and hands it to my girlfriend. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, yeah, man, you shouldn't do that to people from the United States because <laughs> yeah. that, that was like super, like, I was like, oh, Christ, do I got to fight the fucking 70-year-old guy? Like, I don't want to hit a 70-year-old guy. <laughs> yeah, and he just pulls this flower out and he was like, and he just hands it to my girlfriend and he was like, that oh, takes this. <laughs> and then he just he just fucking like danced away. That's awesome. But like, you know, what it's like stuff right like now? that, like. Yeah. I mean, if that guy came up to me in Oakland, I would be like, yeah, get the fuck away from me. Like, you know, don't, what, what are you up to? You, you know what I mean? But like these yeah. things can just sort of happen here. That's kind Eddie, of a nice feeling. Eddie, I got something for you. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> this is not how this conversation, uh, I expected it to go. Not that I had expectations, but the, the writing aspect, I just didn't know. And it's, it's scratching an itch for Ron and I, because it's writing is very dear. And it's also like pretty charged, uh, thing you know in both of our lives we have some history with it and one of the first books i ever read that i loved was this book given to me by this crazy wolf man in alaska who's just this one of those poets he's all duende wild man mm. and 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 a poet you know a real poet and he's got his life together he works for the forest service blah blah well he gives me this book called the river why the river why and in the book why yes the okay. river why yeah and it's, uh, I think David Duncan, Duncan's something, David Duncan Wallace, something like that is the, is the author. And um, in that book is a character, the, the, the a woman in the character is this so beautiful and so cool and interesting. Her name is Eddie. And I always thought that was a pretty cool name for, I like when the, you know, like the a woman's name's George or something like that. I always thought that's kind of cool. So her name's Eddie, but the reason her, name is Eddie is a part of the greater metaphor of the book that is not too on the nose like I'm going to describe it. It's subtle in the book, but it's because in rivers there's eddies, you know? Yeah. You familiar with that term? Yeah. No. Yeah, so in rivers when you watch a river or a creek or something and there's the main flow and then you'll get these little side swirls that Oh, that, I know what they yeah. are. I didn't know what they were called. Those are called eddies. Oh. 
And I was like, when you were talking about your, you know, just all you got to do is get up and like Bangkok's like a river. I was like, whoa, Eddie's like eddying in the river of Bangkok, you know, and you just come out of your, because at some point in time, the shit that gets caught in the eddies, you know, kind of swirls enough to where it gets scooped up by the river again. It's very cool. Right, right. It's like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Have um, you been to Thailand, Daniel? Well, I'm sorry, real quick. What were you going to say, Eddie? Oh, no, no, no. We, we can, I forgot already. Okay. <laughs> No, I haven't been, been to Asia. I haven't been to Asia. Nowhere in Asia. I went to, to Chiang Mai uh, a long time ago and spent a couple months in Chiang Mai. And it, it's a, the whole country is so fucking charming. It is really, really, really charming. Like, I, I, every time I go, I'm like, I want to be here a long time. I want to be here. Do you see yourself being there a long time, like kind of setting some roots up there? <laughs> you can't leave, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Okay, I'm having a hard time leaving right now. But that that's part of like what's facing me back home. Like my, my apartment's half packed up, you know, and I think I just have a lot of anxiety about finally pulling the trigger and yeah. like pulling up stakes. And it's all fine. Those are normal things like you change and it makes you nervous. Uh, but also this has been like such a respite from like mm -hmm. the what I feel like was just, you know, whether it was a pandemic or just the sort of toxicity of like how America has gotten or like, you know, I, all these things are just like way, it, like two years ago, maybe three years ago, I said, uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to buy a, a subscription to the New York Times, you know. I want to be informed. I don't want to, I don't want to try and cheat. You know, I thought that's a good investment. I mean, if you I want to play money. that spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was long before the spelling bee. And like, now it's like, man, like you should have never bought that fucking subscription to the New York times, given the sort of state that the country was in, because it was like, you can get dragged into all this crap. As I can. Or at least I can you know, that it's like, yeah, this doesn't fucking matter. Like, I don't need to read three different opinion pieces about Donald Trump's fucking secret documents found at Mar-a-Lago. Like, I know what happened. Uh, you know, I'm not on the, I'm not one of the people investigating it. I'm going to have no play in the outcome. I know what happened and to have a brief knowledge of what happened is fine. But to like obsessively follow all this sort of political nonsense that's going on. It's just fucking yeah, crazy. That's not, that's and and not it's good toxic. You know, uh, one of my favorite, most curious things, one of the things I'm most curious about in life is how much a person would change if they did essentially what you're about to do and maybe what you've, in some way you've done your whole life, which is just take yourself out of the, the concentrated experience of where you grew up and where you live and put yourself in a whole nother environment that doesn't necessarily have to be another country right you can do that within a city and have a whole nother life in a city but the experience of doing it in a whole nother country you know uh where fundamental patterns of how people behave and how people think and how people speak and how people feel and then immerse yourself and just be there and let the, let that soil grow a, and affect you, you know, into something maybe different. Man, I I wish we could all. I mean, we're absolutely that, you know? products of our environment. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I grew up in New Jersey and like there are certain things about me that are just super fucking New Jersey. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and uh, I wouldn't have been able you to know, say like, when when I was when I was young, uh, 
you know, I was like a super angry guy. You know, the other day I was talking with my girlfriend and she's like, you know, we've been together for uh, about five years. And she was like, she was like, yeah, I know you tell me all these stories about like how you used to be. And she's like, I've never really seen you lose your shit. And I was thinking like, nice. that's fucking crazy. <laughs> like that I've gone five years without cool. like losing my shit and, you know, acting like a fucking lunatic. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I'm evolving. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm Feels getting good. better. Feels good. Yeah. Awesome, you man. know, I mean, I thought, I think a, a lot of times when I was young, I just thought, you know, well, that's how you have to be, you know, people yeah. walk all over you and it's like, nah, that's not really how you have to be. Right. There's the smarter way, ways to deal with that. The ways, the ways that we were grown and how it's like that, that trauma quote where they say something like people who experience trauma, they end up having coping, coping mechanisms they end up becoming what they think is their personality. When you deconstruct that and you're like, oh, my personality has become a re has become an accumulation of reactive behaviors to the chaos of life and, and specific to your life or my life, mm. these certain things. And you're like, yeah. well, what if we can kind of start to pair take that apart and make some choices around how we maybe, I don't want to say really are, because what does that mean? But maybe there's other ways that I could be if I were uh, affected in different ways, you know? Right, right. You know, and obviously, we, we, you know, if if certain little things, certain little intersections didn't happen or whatever. Exactly. You know, yeah. like we wouldn't, like I look at my life as an artist, um, which, you know, I don't complain. Like I think being an artist for me is the greatest job. It's not without its flaws. It's not without its troubles, but I would, pick this over anything. And like, when I think about like some alternative life that I might live where I might work in an office or finance or as a lawyer or, or some alternative reality, it's like, yeah, my life, my, my life wouldn't have any of the things that like I value. Like, like art for me was yeah. like the catalyst for everything else. Like for all the people that I met, for all the places that I ended up, and like, if it wasn't for the art, I wouldn't like, if it wasn't for the, uh, the first time I went to Thailand, I went with another friend of mine, Dio. Art, you know, oh. if I, it, I probably would have never come here, but I came for the art. I came to do art, you know, and then uh, the secondary part was I ended up having some relationship with this place that I, that I really kind of adore. And like, but I could say it about almost everything, single thing about my life that I love. If it wasn't for art, I probably wouldn't have it. Wow. So, I mean, I, I could sit around and say, well, you know, uh, yeah. there have been times in my life where I had no money. I didn't make any money off art. I was, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that, that happens. Things happen. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but like, honestly, that that is literally the sort of funnel that everything good has come to me through. Man, I was talking to a friend last night, uh, and I, I, what I would like to share is, has to do with my past. And I used to be a runner. The last time, uh, the most obsessed I've ever been about something was as a distance runner in my late teens, early twenties. I mean, I, I was in love with it and I had my heart broken. I broke my, my body by running too much, by being too obsessed. It's not a good thing to be obsessed about if you're not really careful because you injure yourself and you can't do the thing. And 
and I did that. And I, I remember laying on my bed is like, I haven't thought about this in fucking decade, but I remember laying on my bed and I had this, I was so obsessed that I drawn this drawing of the words run faster. And I'd taped it to my ceiling that I woke up in the morning, you know, and that was, I, I joked that that was the bedtime story that I went to bed every night was run faster. You know? Right, right, right. It's not do your best. It's not like, um, it's just always run faster. It's never good enough. And, yeah. and then I hurt myself and it was a very mysterious injury that there was no reason, like there wasn't an, a diagnosis for and, and I just was heartbroken. So last night I'm talking to a friend about painting and I was like, I was like, fuck, I've been at painting not for very long, maybe about seven years and I've been working out my shit through it. And I'm kind of like getting a career going and I'm learning and I feel like a beginner, but I'm also doing well. Like this is working. This is working. It's something that I can also do for a long time. Like I found my Ica guy, you know, that thing where all the, all the circles cross over and, and overlap in that center. And, but I, but I'm not obsessed. And I was like, why? I know I'm an obsessive person. Why am I not obsessed with this thing? And I was thinking about running and I was like, I wonder if, if I'm scared, you know, if I'm right. scared to give my, open my that was going to be my guess. <laughs> Would you think that right? you're, yeah. that you, yeah, you, you think the same yeah. thing is going to happen. Uh, you're going to go over the edge. But I, I don't get think that. I can. I, totally get that. I think that's okay. Yeah. I think I can go over the edge on this one, guys, you know? Yeah. You have to, I think. It'll hurt my, point. I'm not going to get a stress yeah. fracture, you know? It's like, how can you, I might go You insane. might get carpal tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess bad things could happen. I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I've probably, I've probably had, you know, like, I feel like my life's divided into like five or six chapters, you know, and something comes along and it kind of destroys, not destroys, but it, it, yeah. it wipes the slate clean and you're like oh i gotta start over and every time that's happened to me you know my first you know my first reaction is like oh fuck you know like i just yeah. wasted a dozen years and then inevitably fuck. like one or two yeah. years down the road i'm like man changing was the fucking smartest thing i ever did because yeah. i'm like so much happier now and i just don't think like there's i mean I, i'm sure there's people out there and and they're super like just happy with the way their life is and if it never changed they would be happy just living out their days exactly as they are um which is awesome but i'm not like i know myself i'm not that person like every kind of seven to ten years i kind of need to almost reinvent myself mm -hmm. a little bit at least or i get really just um dispassionate it's like crab shell being too small, you know, and you got to shed that thing or a snakeskin, you know? Yeah. Has, 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 if we could call what, and I know we're kind of getting toward the time here. Um, if, if it is fair to call you at times obsessed with painting, has, has that obsession ever hurt your life? You know, has it ever gone too far? Like, is there any cautionary tale that I can have as, as I potentially open? <laughs> well, that I would, I would only say, <laughs> I would only say that the times where it went too far it, it is where you start to believe, uh, and this kind of overlaps with where I'm at right now, where you kind of start to believe that, you know, your career or your work is the only thing that exists in the world. I, so what I mean by that is I can be obsessive as far as the kind of work I'm doing and this continuation, the sort of like 
pursue the same things year after year. Um, I I think to be a good artist, it, if all you do is make art and all you do is you're in the studio and you're just going from next show to next show to next show and there's no living in the middle, you can't make good art. So like the whole part of the thing here was like, I wanted to come and I wanted to work on writing. I didn't want to lock myself in the hotel and work on writing eight hours a day. I wanted to work on it. And then I wanted to come here because this is um, a very lively city. I mean, if you walk outside, there is so much stuff going on within a two block radius. um, And to just, like after the pandemic and like even after just sort of being in California where things are all a little bit more separate and not quite as social and people do things at home and do things in cars like here the whole world exists on the street and you can just walk down the street and see all of it and I kind of just needed that affirmation after the pandemic like life's continuing like people are out life is going on your life needs to go on you need to do some living. You know, another thing that we really haven't like even touched on is that like I'm a I'm at a very strange place with my work because I had been doing this body of work um, for really about 10 years. And it started with this show that I did with D. Young V and Hugh Lehman. And in 2012, we did this show that was this sort of apocalyptic installation. Right. And at the time I was researching doing research for the show and i was like all right like you know growing up when i was growing up it was always sort of this threat of like a nuclear catastrophe and i was like well that's not so much what what we would consider an apocalyptic event now or the thing in the back of our minds so i started just reading things like what do scientists think an apocalyptic event that's worth being aware of now like a a scientifically based thing and and that was 10 years ago right everything i could find was like oh you know probably the most realistic scenario for some kind of an apocalyptic event is uh, a highly contagious upper respiratory infection that we that that jumps species so like i've literally been thinking about this pandemic for like <laughs> 8 years and sort of almost like envisioning it and then when it happened i was kind of like oh fuck because i read so much about it like long anybody was talking about it i was like reading the new york times every day like starting like new year's day 2020 like telling my girlfriend like hey man like Mm. four people died of this weird pneumonia thing in wuhan you know and it's sort of like like that's a little sketchy like that's exactly kind of everything i read and I was like, we should kind of pay attention to this. But anyway, so I don't, you know, if you've seen any of like my more recent exhibitions, you know, you'll, you would say like, oh, yeah. that's weird. It looks a little bit like what just happened. Yeah. Which now changes the context of how people view it. Because when I did it before, this hadn't happened. Right, right. Now that it's happened. So I'm in this place where it's just like this really strange thing, like that sort of, was a bit of a warning and a bit of a uh, a bit of a uh, um, a message to people that like yeah you know adversity you know doesn't destroy us in a lot of cases it really brings out our strengths and like and and our dignity it can 
that was that was sort of the message of, of those kinds of portraits. And so now that we're aware we are I'm a little bit at this crossroads, like, well, yeah. that whole body of work doesn't really make sense to continue doing. Yeah, it's kind of done. It feels like a really natural, very clear and very fucking real conclusion. Have you, right. Have you heard of the, you, do you know um, the writer and director, uh, Martin McDonough? He started out as a playwright. Now he's a writer, a, a film, a screenwriter. He wrote In Bruges. No. And the current oh, movie. I've seen him, Bruges. Yeah, so he's the writer director of that. Fucking genius, dude. And he wrote, I think it was in Bruges. He wrote in Bruges. Fucking struck gold. Like, it was excellent piece of work. And then he just, he's like, I people go, what are you gonna do next? And he goes, right. he goes, man, I've been, and it might have been, not have been after in Bruges. It might have, it might have been after a bunch of plays he wrote before he went into in Bruges. But the point is, is that he said. I could do more of these and I could do them good, do them well, but I, I need to grow as a art, as a person, I need to get away and go change and go experience. And he went away. I think it was like seven years or something. He really yeah. went away and didn't write. And, and then he came back and now he just fucking put out the, the Banshees of Inishirin, you know, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. Plotted, right. I, so I appreciate, I don't know if that's where you're at, but it came to my mind that you're just sensing that you just got to go and stop and be in a huge transition. It's very. Well, I mean, you, I mean, for me, it's just like, well, it's just, you know, I can't fake it. And when I was young, it was always right. like, oh man, right. you, you got to right. keep the ball rolling because, huh. you know, if you don't keep the ball rolling, this might be the end. And like, um, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, maybe yeah, that's yeah. it. Maybe, maybe that. that career was supposed to last yeah. this long and you kind of that's it you got nothing left i'm old enough now where i'm like no nah, man like this is just who you are hmm. like and hmm. even if you don't make art for a year like you'll always make art it's like that mark twain quote he was working on um huckleberry finn or whatever and uh it, he got to a certain point and he just he couldn't write anything huh. he just couldn't write it he couldn't finish it and he's like halfway through it. So he put it aside for like a year and a half or something. I just yeah. didn't even work on it. And uh, he said something like, you know, I got to a point where the well was just empty. Whoa. And he's like, so, so I just put it aside and waited for the well to fill up again. Yeah. Yeah, I like he's, that. Guy knows his process, you know, he yeah. just knows. Yeah, right, right. That's good. You yeah. know, but that's a that's a scary thing to be staring down like a year and a half of like, oh man, do I just not have it in me anymore? You know, I think, I think you can a, get to a point. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where yeah. I've been trusting the universe is like I, I've had to put my career, my my writing down for a little while to get through something else, and yeah. it's like, I it, I know it's going to be here. Yeah. I also know that I'm never not going to be a writer. It sounds like that's how, it sounds like that's how you feel about being an artist as well, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, you know, me and DMV, uh, another artist friend of mine, or, or, you know, several artists, you know, everyone will talk about, you know, get discouraged, get pissed off, like, why the fuck do we ever do this? <laughs> you know, and then we always just laugh at each other, because it's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're a fucking lifer. You're not going to stop doing this. You're, you're never going to give up on it. So like, you can either just accept like, yeah, you had a shit day, or you had a bad show, or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And then get it out of your system and then get back to work it's like dennis rodman sorry Ron, i know we're, I know we're finishing up no this is great man 
he fucking he is all he's so dwindy right so fucking dwindy that guy is uh back in his playing days he let that part of himself out you know anyways long story short in back in the when he, they were doing their last run uh in the finals in like 97 i think it was he had to pippen was scotty pippen was out and dennis Rodman was now the kind of like guy that Jordan was leaning on and Dennis couldn't do it. It, it was freaking him out. And so he blows up in the middle of a game. It, the Duende just explodes and he gets tossed out of a game and Michael Jordan is all alone. And then <clears throat> hang hang with me guys on this one. I know this is, is left field, but Michael Jordan was fucking pissed because he was all alone on the court. Basically one of his main two, he didn't have his two main guys. And that night Dennis Rodman never goes to Michael Jordan's room. And he just knocked on Michael Jordan's room and asked for a cigar. And that's all he did. But Michael Jordan knew that was Dennis Rodman's way of apologizing because he knew it fucked up. And after that, Dennis Rodman was straight in his air, as an arrow and he showed up every day until Pippen came back. But like a couple weeks past, Pippen came back and Dennis, he was so, he, he was so pent up from being all straight and narrow that he just goes to the coach and says, I need a vacation. They're in the middle of like a, a playoff run basically. And they're like, vacation? What the fuck are you talking about? He goes, I need to go to Vegas. And they go, no. And he goes, I need to go. And they go, well, how long? It was 48 hours. And they're like, okay, fucking go. And he did. And they didn't hear from him. And then 48 hours came, he did not show up. And they had to go to Vegas and pull his ass out of a fucking hotel. And then he came back and did his thing. But it's like, it's kind of that similar thing. Like, you just, you got to have that other part, like live in the world and express itself and, or you go crazy. That yeah, I feel, that, that, that I feel that's that absolutely it. In uh, Bangkok, <laughs> is that is, right? Is this your Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is it. You know, it's like I'm, I'm here. I'm gonna try and write. You know, I don't have any. I don't think. You know, I, I'm gonna try and and have as many experiences as I can have here, and that will be. You know, all you can do is make art about your experiences. If you're not having yeah. experiences, what are you gonna be? you know i mean it's just become some academic pursuit so you know uh it was a crap three years you know we came here we're just gonna like you know what we're gonna enjoy ourselves we're gonna fucking find the mojo again you know and it's a good place to find it (laughs) especially when you're literally going to places that you dreamed about you know yeah yeah i mean that's just a super satisfying thing like almost to the point where like you know, it, it, it almost sounds like a little bit hokey, like some little new agey tale, but you know, like to say it, like I hate to say shit like this because it sounds so fucking cliche. Like every once in a while, like I'm a pretty cynical person, you know, so, uh, uh, <laughs> or I can be, you know, but like every once in a while you sort of break through it and, and you know, it's kind of like, fuck man, life is kind of fucking magical sometimes. Uh. You know, and then you just like, oh man, I hope nobody heard that. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that doesn't even yeah. sound we'll like edit me, that, but no. uh, we'll edit you that. You know, but that. but we'll it is. Out. I mean, it's just like there's there's no way around it. You know, it, I, mean, yeah, I think just, it, I it's think magical. It, yeah, I think it's definitely <laughs> magical. We have a question for you. This is a really important question. We need you to answer. Yeah, you're self-described cynical person we were just having this conversation before you popped this up. was part of the draw we were talking about cynicism yeah, yeah. this would be it's tight oh really tight yeah. go around this. what the fuck do you think is the opposite of cynicism yeah 
It's not optimism. Um, Maybe a different question know, is like, how how uh, how do you experience cynicism oppositely in your in your life? Sorry, say it again. How do you experience what? How do you experience like when do you know you're in the opposite space of cynicism? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, um, you know, if it's in a work environment or something like that, you know, uh, when you're being cynical, like everything that fucking could go wrong goes wrong. Hmm. <laughs> like that's just that's my experience. You know, hmm. if you're out doing street art and you're in a fucking pissed off mood, and I generally don't do it when I'm in a pissed off mood because it's hmm. like, yeah, that's when the cops fucking show up. Hmm. That's when you get tossed in the back of a police car. That's when you fall off some shit and fuck up your arm. Like you can't, if you're in that, if that, that, that super cynical kind of negative headspace, just don't try, don't bother. You know, I know when I'm in the opposite zone because you just like, oh, wow. Like, you know, it, maybe it's an exhibition. Maybe it's just a singular piece you're working on. You're like, I went into the studio today and it was like, man, I just couldn't make a bad decision. Like every decision I made was like, bam, that exactly, you know, it was like, it was like you're in the speed round at the end of a game show. And it's just like, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's because you're, you're like in a positive headspace. Or when you're, at least for me, like when I'm, when I'm in a truly positive, like I'm not faking it, you know, it's like, yeah, all of a sudden you're just making good decisions and then the good decisions are having good results and like, things are going and you're you're in that flow state sounds like you the know? opposite of cynicism is bangkok <laughs> yeah maybe 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 would you hey, say uh, guys of, of bangkok <laughs> don't get me started yeah. hey uh eddie uh ron ron woke up pretty sick today he had a, a fever and headache and stuff he was like struggling oh shit well Th thanks take for care life. of yourself no, I'm, I'm not trying to say like, we got to get the fuck out absolutely right now. But I'm just saying like, thanks for like, I, he was he was pulling today to, to to be here and show up. And I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Ron. Eddie, appreciate, I, I appreciate you. you being I, here. I, I love how you showed up today, man. Thank you so much. And I hope, I hope you get <laughs> everything you want out of that trip to to. Uh, yeah, man. And it's it's like, been good. I'm, you I'm happy. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the one thing I would note as far as we went with the introduction, yeah, is that you you mentioned the Ian Ross gallery. I, I guest curated a show there once. I I wasn't oh, really gotcha, a curator gotcha. there. So gotcha. I just don't want to give the impression that I was I was a curator at that gallery. I, I did the one made in China show with them as a guest curator. Okay, cool. Appreciate that. Yeah. And um, hey, you know, yeah. just thanks for uh, um, the conversation. And uh, um, it, it's kind of, you know, one of the things that happens with the show that was unexpected with Ron and I is that we ended up, you know, we thought we were going to be cutting for sign, you know, asking people how they cut for sign in life and how did they live a meaningful life. And that, that that didn't really ever happen. It's just not that interesting of a topic, you know, and and not everyone has an answer to that question, but what the actual meaning and experience of that title has been for us is that being meaningful to us and kind of helping us on our way. And and this conversation around obsession is yeah, for me it's helpful right now because I think I'm I'm ready to relax 
subconsciously, you know, I've sensed some relaxation and it's coming through in a lot of different ways in my life and a little less control, needing a little less control and being a little more relaxed uh, and saying yes to impulses and, and just knowing that my life isn't going to, you know, I'm not going to end up staring at a fucking sign that says paint, paint faster, you know, and, and not being able to paint like a, some burning shit down and, and not being able to do what I love. So <clears throat> thanks, man, for hearing that out and, and participating. It's been a good conversation on my end. Yeah, man. And I appreciate the input on the writing. And, I, you know, I'm mm. trying to bring this a little bit of the same kind of obsessiveness to that, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as much as much as I can. Um, yeah. as far as, uh, as, as far as the sort of things, you know, I mean, there are always the haunting questions in your mind, right? So you're yeah. always trying to unravel those. So I try to write about that. Nice, man. Try to write about the things I can't escape. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Get it done. I want to, I want to participate in reading it. I want to hear it. However, right on, however right it comes on. out. That's yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, let's all stay in touch because I think this was a, this was a, uh, this was a nice conversation. Actually. Please Thanks, do. Man. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. Let us know how we can help in any way and, and we'll let you know when this is all is all done. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Take cool, care, man. All right. Take all care. right, fellas. Feel better, man. I will <laughs> do. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Take care. Take care. Field dressing. Field dressing. Eddie. 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 Eddie editing. Eddie editing in Bangkok. I've had those experiences he was talking about in Thailand where you just have some wild character come up to you and suddenly you have an, like, you're like kind of, kind of stuck together in a good way. I like what he said about you just get up, you know, just get up, you know, and, and the flow of Bangkok will take you, you know, there's a quote from, I think cultures that have, that live on the street like that, that like live in community, it, that's, it feels better because we're, you know, like we've, we, um, we're a herd animal, like we've heard, right? <laughs> and when we're in the human herd and kind of speaking that herd language again, it, something comes back in, inside us. It's great. Yeah, good call. I wonder what Beth Ann Standing, one of our guests, one of our best conversations. Who wrote easily, the book, The Human Herd. <laughs> I wonder what she would say about it. I'm sure, because what you just said probably 100% relates to yeah why he's why it's working and not not can't like you know in america maybe in general we are not participating in our animal nature as well, much the way he's and, describing it, you get in a car you're just you, all this isolation all this yes. extreme isolation and hearing a and hearing a narrative of isolation continuously yeah. over and over the us versus them maybe there's a little bit of 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 ability you know that that comes from of instinct, you know, that it is like, no, man, I don't need to have everything be as safe as possible all the time. There can be, we can relax into the chaos and trust the, trust this, the herd. Yeah. I looked up the opposite of cynicism and, and the funny thing is, is he was right when he goes, uh, well, he was half right because he goes, well, it's not the opposite of cynicism isn't optimism, but it is in fact optimism. And it's optimism. I, optimism, yeah. Cynicism. And, oh, okay. Well, I would yeah. think that would be pessimism and opposition. Uh, and I, I know, hope. right? I know. <laughs> I. That makes sense. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. Well, it looks like if we if we tear it apart a little bit, cynical is like I've been burned and I'm looking. Cynicism I'm, has to do with people. That's pessimism too. 
cynicism has to do with people. Pessimism has to do with everything, like situations. No, nah, you can be cynical about things that aren't people. Well, the definition is people. What do you Cynic mean? Well, let me read it to you. <laughs> okay. Okay, Chippy. Someone's not feeling good, grumpy. <laughs> An inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest skepticism. That is okay. Say that one more time. Cynicism is an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest. Oh, it's specific to people. Yeah, yeah. Well, fuck me. Yeah, I like that. All right, good. But to I know. like optimism because I, I, I think with optimism, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. The thing where it's like really believing most people are trying the best they can with what they got, and. And that's not an opt. Yeah. That's an optimistic view. It isn't the definition of optimism, but it's an optimistic right. view of humanity. Or like one that goes hand in hand with that. That's been hitting me lately. Is I'm not sure I could do any better in there if I if I was in that position. Yeah, you know? that's yeah, the that same. Is. That's that's in that same like one two punch of not being cynical. Is like, would you do any better if you came from where they were? Hopefully, or? hopefully this um realization which i think is getting more and more popular will enter the zeitgeist of the way people are dude it was hard not to use that there was actually a very appropriate like no there was i there was i shoehorned time <laughs> oh god man when he was talking dude it was a very appropriate place and just for you i didn't nope. use it it's not a great word anyways i get it. It, it it sounds too much like a like a <laughs> like what's the big blimp it starts with a Z. The Zamboni. No. The What's the big blimp that starts Zephyr? with a Z? It's not Zephyr. Yeah. Zeppelin. 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 It reminds. It's just Z words are sketchy. They're dude. It's it for me. It's pedantic. Work. When someone has to use a word like that, it's pedantic. And pedantic. Ped like being pedantic, the word pedantic is when. <laughs> yeah. Oh, especially it's when somebody really wants everyone else to know how smart they are. No, no, no. Just be okay. Just because someone uses a word that you don't know the the definition of doesn't mean that they used that word to seem smart. Sometimes this is one of the great things about English and it's different as I understand it than a lot of other uh, languages is that and we get shit for it. English is that there's a lot of words that seem to mean the same thing. But if but those words are like mixed colors. They're not quite blue. They're not quite indigo. There's something in between. And they hit a slightly different note. They hit slightly different shade. And I think that if what what happens is that people don't know sometimes what that shade is, and they're just using it to sound smart or because yes. they just learned it. Fair enough. But if you get if you really tap in, Ron, to it, you, the royal you, if people tap into and they understand and feel what that word means that's slightly different than this other simpler word and then they use it to be specific and they use it well then it's beautiful it's gorgeous when was the last time you got to say to somebody i don't think that word means what you think it means <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> i said it to myself like two days ago i used a word that was not right and i was like i don't <laughs> I was. Uh, What's that from? Out. That's a great. That's line from, from the movie. Princess Bride. Oh, isn't so it? Good. Yeah, when he yeah, yeah, yeah. he goes when he goes. Uh, uh, inconceivable. Inconceivable. No, no, that's not the word. 
Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's what a great line <laughs> by the I, dumbest person on that, in that movie. And he just drops the fucking pointed, most perfect line <laughs> to the smartest brother. Great. I was talking to a, a guy yesterday for a long time and, and he was using a phrase to denote something was said that didn't need to be repeated. And most people, con, most people, connote? most people will say, did I say denote? Can I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know the difference between denote and connote. Uh, most people will say blah, 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 or blah, 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 or short story, you know, you know, cut through the chase, any of those things. And he yeah. would say, blah, say, blah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like he didn't know that, that it was, that was quote wrong. I fucking love that. He did it I'm, yeah, so great. much. I was like, I'm going to allow this. I'm going to just go along with this. I'm not going to correct did it. him. I'm going to allow him to go for it. I love it. A good friend of mine does the same thing. He says, Saranara. <laughs> Every time. Sorry. Every time. He goes, Saranara. And I'm always like, Saranara, brother. He also has, he also says, supposedly. supposedly. I used to say one and... fatal sweep. Instead of <laughs> one fell swoop. You actually, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, the other, another, another good one of those is, when when oh I can't quite think of it, but you actually just did it. You said, you said cut through the chase. Oh yeah, <laughs> cut. <laughs> you said cut through the chase. Cut through the chase. <laughs> In fact, this is cool. I love this topic. I know we're closing up, but the term "cut to the chase" was used in a film. I can't remember what it was. It was a period piece, though, and the 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 film was like, fuck. The period of time was like seventeen hundreds or something. And what happened was someone noticed that that phrase didn't exist in the 1700s because cut to the chase is a term that came out of, can you guess where it came from? You're looking it up. The, the, term, the term came out of film when they would be like, this is too boring. Let's cut. Let's edit this film. Cut. That Just part go straight to the chase scene. To the chase scene. That's where it comes from. And they had it like back in some fucking medieval <laughs> Cut to <stories>. the chase. <laughs> Cut to the chase. <laughs> yeah, I love terms like that and, and where they came from. Fuck yeah. Excellent. I, every single time we record, we need to get into the etymology of something because it's just so fascinating. It's so fun. We tend to, we, it's becoming a trend on our show for sure. I like, I like that, uh, I like that, that you, I like that you asked that question. When was the last time that you heard someone say essentially the term? I don't think that that word means like, God, dude. <laughs> I love when people confidently do it too. Oh, Just this guy was so confident. Swag. And I didn't want to take the confidence away from him. I wanted him to, to own it, feel it, enjoy it. <laughs> I thought maybe, but the other thing I was thinking is maybe there's certain circles of people where that is the norm now. And I, what? and. Oh, and who am I to say that that's Good not call. supposed to be there, right? Like the like Sarnar? language, <laughs> language changes all the time. Language so mercurial, you know. It's, it's just like it just it's it slips through your hands. It's so alive, and it can. And then it's those stuffy motherfuckers, the anti duendes, when they they go, that's not a word, you know. Yeah. And and they don't have any fun with them. Well, maybe they have fun with the words and the language in their own way, but. They, I, people, sometimes, sometimes people can't recognize. It seems that a person changing language and spelling is a way to have a little style and express himself. Like I've been, I've noticed this in my texting lately. 
I've been phonetically typing things, spelling things, just do it phonetically. So instead of word being W-O-R-D, it would be W-E-R-D. I've noticed you've been doing that. Yeah, and it's just my it's poor just, guy is just like losing his mind over here. It's just natural little way to have a little bit of fun and, and then different things come from that. I think it's lovely. People can do it more. It's okay. There's permission. Here's your permission. Uh, speaking of permission, I'd love, I'd give everyone permission who's listening to this to reach out to us with a phrase <laughs> that they're curious about where it comes from. Oh, yeah. They'd, yeah, they'd yeah. like to know where it started or a time in your life when you were using a phrase completely incorrectly, <laughs> even better. <laughs> maybe for all years, maybe for years, <laughs> for years. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish with one that, that I didn't get until maybe two years ago. Okay. Can I give you, give you an etymology of a term right after that? No, because I want to end on. End on. <laughs> you got it, buddy. You're sick. You get whatever you want today. Ice cream for Ron. Ice cream for Ron all day long. What's uh, the etymology <laughs> that you want to share? Uh, oh, I can go first. That's cool. Good. Yeah. Oh, that was very diplomatic of you. Um, the whole nine yards. I texted you this one a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. The whole nine this yards. This one surprised me. I thought for sure it had to do something with sports. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. The whole nine. Do you remember? Yeah, You can I do, do two of them. You can do them both. Do it. Go. I do remember. So I thought it had to do with something. It's either football or golf because those are both measured in golf or measured in yards. Yeah. But what it was, was yardage of ammunition, right? In battle during World War II, when they would load these machine guns up with yard lengths of chained ammunition together. And we're going to give them the whole nine yards. Because it was like nine yards was, means the gun was full of machine gun. Yeah, you're hacking chain. your way through it. I'll give you a C plus on that one. Whoa, it, whoa, whoa! Come I on. just looked. I just looked it up again. Actually, oh, <laughs> you had nothing to do with. I don't know why. I just, I just sports. <laughs> <laughs> Nine yards is a hard putt. You know, I don't know what to say. No. Um, uh, you know what's funny? I just noticed. I go. I, I golf has been a big part of my life. They. I've never thought that. Thought of this. Do measure golf in yards until you get to the green. Then it's yeah, feet. It's feet, bastards. Interesting. Um. <clears throat> So it was on the planes. It was specific to the planes, this one type of plane. And airplane. Yeah, it was on one type of airplane in World War, blah, blah, blah. I don't know which one, probably two. Um, and there's only two. The <laughs> and the <laughs> the length of these certain cartridge, you know, the the chains of bullets. Yeah. The standard length, they came in nine yard things. So the pilot would be like. When he was like, don't hold back, he would say, give him the whole nine yards. Or retroactively, the person who shot it would be like, man, I gave him the whole nine yards. Give him the whole nine yards. Which is, you know, it's kind of a brutal, wicked etymology of death and war, you know? I'm glad we didn't end on that one. What's yours? Well, I'm trying to decide if I want to end with my one story of a face-to-face meeting with Dennis Rodman. Are you fucking kidding me? Or Dude. with using a word wrong for most of my life. Dude, I don't care. Say them both. Okay. No, I don't know. Dennis Rodman. Do, ha- do half of a sentence of one story and then finish with the others. Like, so it's all mixed up. So we have to like. Oh, here it is. Okay. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> uh, the night that uh, my college girlfriend and I were going to decide if we wanted to stay married, to get married or not. We were walking okay. around. Laguna Beach, California, very high end little 
little community. No one was out on the street. And this white Lamborghini like pulls right up in front of us. Whoa. Driven by a beach blonde bombshell. With big silicon boobies. Big, yes. And guess who was in the driver in the passenger seat? A man, Dennis Rodman. Our man, Dennis Rodman. And he leans out into the light. Like we weren't like trying to look inside. We weren't trying to like figure this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's the car stops in front of us. We didn't ask the car to stop in front of us. It just stopped in front of us. <laughs> he leans out into the street light and gives us the peace sign. And we look at him and we're like, oh shit, this is Dennis Rodman. And before we could even think of anything else, they just speed off, like take off. Now, what I got wrong for most of my life was I didn't know that the word silicone and silicon were two different words. And anytime I talked about silicone and chips or silicone valley, uh, what I should have been calling it was silicon. And that silicone is what was in that beautiful lady's chest. And I thought they were the same thing. So for years, I called Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. Okay, that was masterfully done to bring those two things together. That's very impressive. Thank you. Did you notice that I actually called her implant silicon implants, which was purposely wrong? I didn't know the (laughs) difference. Okay, just real quick, just so I can lock it in for future ref. Which one is which? Silicone goes goes in your chesticles. Silicone. Yeah, silicone silicon. is what's in. Yeah, and silicon is what goes in microchips. I wonder. Oh, oh, so they are both fabric materials. Yeah, they're both materials. Just different enough those, that you can wear one inside your body and not another. Well, yeah. pretty soon we're going to be wearing pretty soon. the other one in we'll our body both. too. You know what I'm saying? Can't wait for both of them to be combined. I wonder, not that we need to go into it, but I am just curious where mine's go, mine go, my mind goes next is, are those two words connected? You know? They gotta be. They have to be. Silica. And why did they become different? Silica? They gotta be connected. Silicon on own. See, then you would just go into your Google and you would look up suffix on own, whatever, you know? I fucking love it, dude. I appreciate you, man. That was a good, that was a slow burn conversation. The first 20 or 30 minutes was like, I don't know if we're going to land on something. We were both. Well, I was like, getting the chills sick. from from a from my fever. From you were struggling coming come in and out. Thankfully, we're we're far. I actually woke up last night thinking, "Do I have COVID? Did I miss getting COVID this whole time?" Dude, to that, only get it right now. That conversation landed in a really awesome place. I thought that was that was actually we were in the flow as much as we've ever been. I really enjoyed him. He's yeah. awesome. He is a good dude. It was super fun to not be able to see him too. Yeah, you should do that sometime. Just backlight yourself, <laughs> and then we should do, do it to a guest when they don't. We don't know. They don't know that I'm going to do it. Yeah, and then do the marbles <laughs> in the mouth. So you know what I mean. Do a filter on your voice too, and I'll be like, That's a "Good idea." I'll be like, "I don't know who this fucker is, but yeah, that was good. Good job today. Good job rallying, man. I Thank love you. You too. I love you too, man. Thanks for saying that. <laughs>